talking about uh, fatherhood, and um, we're talking about, you know, what the Bible says about what we need to be to be men of God. Now, I understand that there are ladies in the room and men in the room. I understand there are, you know, middle school age boys. They're like, hi, my name is Aaron, and, uh, you know, I I get that, but let me help you with this. I I think if you're a a young man in the room, these, we're going to talk about some characteristics for you to strive for. and if you're a dad or you're a young adult male, uh, these are some things to ask yourself in your own life. Do I have these qualities? Uh, and how am I doing? Because the only person that can really gauge that is you. you know, they say that the first 40 years of a man's life is about building character. And the last 40 years of a man's life is about living a life based on the character that's been built. We live in a day and age that accentuates and highlights underscores, bolds, puts in big lights, early successes. But the truth is, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, the 26-year-old billionaires, are the exception, not the rule. The way that the Bible talks about it is that the first years, the first years of a man's life, these 20s and 30s, these are all formative years to get us to a place to where then we're able to really live the life that God's called us to live. And so I hope these are character-building times. Those of you that may be ladies in the room that are single, these are characteristics for you to look and to evaluate and say, does this individual, does when I get to that place to get married, does this man have these characteristics and qualities? Uh, and, if you're a, uh, and if you're a married lady, you know, these are things to champion and encourage. And you may say, but he's only got one of four. Then just, man, just, just champion that one all day long. A- amen. So, um, so, so I, I think this is going to be beneficial. But I want to start with a, with, a, with a statement. Fatherhood is caught, not taught. Fatherhood is something that's caught, not taught. I don't know if you remember, but do you remember your parents telling you stories of how bad it was for them as a child? Right? I mean, my dad would tell me when I'd be like, man, I had to wait for you 30 minutes to pick me up from football practice. My, my dad literally walked two miles one way to go to football practice. H- how do you beat that, right? I mean, I, I had to ride my bike, and it was 90 degrees outside, and it was killing me. And, you know, and, 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 and so, you know, you, you, when you as a parent tell your children how hard it was as opposed to how great they have it, if you haven't had that conversation, they don't listen, do they? The same way you didn't listen. It's like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 right? Like, yeah, stinks to be you, mom and dad. My forehead's itching. I mean, I'm sorry that for your hard life that you have. But, you know, and then, and then as a parent, all of a sudden you find yourself doing and saying things that you said as a child you'd never do and say, right? And it really comes out in parenthood. Like statements like, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Yeah, yeah. My dad would tell me that all the time, right before I get a spanking. I'm like, "Hey, you really you want to trade places here?" I mean, I'm sure this was, you know. And uh, and so, but the deal is, is that fatherhood is caught, not taught. And we'd like to be able just to tell our kids the things to do and them to do it, but that's not the way it works. It's really more caught. And 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 in our culture, and in, and even this isn't a new thing, but if you have strong fathers, then you you produce strong children. 
If you have absence of fathers, then you produce major gaps in kids. Um, for instance, Timmy and I, we worked in youth ministry for almost 10 years. We were youth pastors. And the kids in the youth ministries that we worked in that had parents that, that came from a mom and a dad and a you know, two-parent family, and uh, they were in love with one another, not fighting and throwing things, and, 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 and they were in love with one another. Those kids, it wasn't that those, that those kids were perfect, but those kids, they, they saw what it meant to be a man of God or a woman of God. They saw how a man of God was to love a woman of God, and a woman of God was to love a man of God, and how that works. The kids that we had in youth ministry that didn't have either a strong father figure or a strong uh, mom figure, there were deficiencies. The girls, girls need affirmation from their dad. And if they don't find affirmation from their father, they'll find it in the arms of some boy. Every time. Because this, you know, there'd be some little girl and her dad was completely absent from her life. And, uh, and, and there was no dominant male role model, and she'd go from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend. Why? Because she's looking for that affirmation. Um, boys, if they, don't have, if they don't have that strong hand of a father and the nurturing love of a mother in their life, they will constantly be trying to prove themselves. So they'll try to prove themselves to young women in inappropriate behavior. They'll try to prove themselves with stupid stunts, right? Like, hey, watch this. And, uh, uh, and they'll get in trouble because they're constantly trying to prove that they're man enough to do something. And so, um, so fatherhood is a very, very, very vital thing. I don't typically do statistics, but I want to read you some statistics, national statistics in the U.S., because I think sometimes stats become mind-numbing and we kind of tune it out, but these are pretty powerful, about the importance of a father. 63% of teen suicides come from fatherless homes. That's five times the national average. Ninety percent of all runaways and homeless children come from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the national average. Eighty percent of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. That's 14 times the national average. Eighty-five percent of children with behavioral problems come from fatherless homes. Listen to this. Seventy-one percent of all high school dropouts, 71 percent of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, nine times the national average. 75% of all uh, adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison today come from fatherless homes, 20 times the national average. The reality is, is when a godly father is present, there are things that happen in a home the way God intended. And when a godly father is not present in a home, there's an absence that causes a certain amount of chaos and problems. So I just want to give you, just give, you, give you four characteristics of what a father does according to Scripture. And again, this isn't rocket science, but I think it's, it's something worth processing and thinking and um, setting the bar for ourselves. First of all, a godly father is to bring correction. The first thing that a godly father, and these aren't necessarily in any order, but they are to bring correction. Um, and correction, I'm not talking about, uh, you're not talking about, this isn't, this isn't about spanking or time out or, it's so much more than that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8 says it this way. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? So the writer here basically gives us this metaphorical uh, uh, situation between a father and a son as, as, the, as God is to us. 
It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. So the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. There's a lot of theological conjecture, but we don't know who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these, these chapters in this book of, called Hebrews. says that as God is to us, so a father is to, his, to, to a child. And the same way that God the Father shows his love for us is the same way that an earthly father shows his love for his children. And that is that God the Father disciplines those in whom he loves the same way an earthly father disciplines those in whom he loves. Because if an earthly father doesn't love his children, he doesn't discipline his kids. Why? Because it takes a lot of energy to discipline kids. It's, it's, it's twice as hard. It's so much easier to go, I don't care. Go do what you want to do. You know, I, go, go play in the streets, right? You know, what do, do, do you want to do? Just go dodge cars for a while and see if you don't get hit. Right? I mean, and, and I'm saying that facetiously, but because if I have to discipline my child, it means I have to stop what I'm doing. It means I have to slow down my RPMs. It means I have to speak on their level. It means I have to have a conversation that involves communication. Yelling is not communication. It may make me feel good for a moment, but it's not communication because that's only a one-way street. So I have to talk them in a way in which they understand. Then I have to discipline them, not punish them. Punishment is punitive, which means I'm trying to inflict pain upon. Discipline is I'm going to put you in a position that you're not going to like for a while, but it's going to be for your best interest. It may be painful, kind of like going to the dentist, but it's not to hurt you, it's to help you. It's not to harm you, it's to bless you. But it's going to mean that I have to get up early or I have to come home from work and just, I have to show up, I'm going to have to help you. I'm going to, it requires something of me. And the writer of Hebrews says the same way that an earthly father disciplines his child is the same way that God disciplines us. And that when he disciplines us, it's not because he doesn't love us the same way when an earthly father disciplines his child, it's not because he doesn't love them. It's because he does love us and it shows our legitimacy as sons and daughters of God. Right? Has your dad ever said this to you? Don't act a fool. You, you carry my last name. That was a, a conversation my dad had with me and my brother often when we would go off to some event. Hey, act like you've been there, son. I, you may not have ever been in a situation before, but at least act like you've been there. I mean, you, you got my last name. So don't, 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 don't embarrass me, you know. Don't, 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 don't show up and embarrass me and your mother, right? I mean, you, your last name is my last name, so you may, you know, make sure that, you know, that you do. I mean, there's from times to times, I mean, my mother's probably my biggest fan. And she'll say, oh, you did such a wonderful job. I saw you're preaching. And my dad will be like, hey, son, are you really staying in the Bible right now? Maybe you need to go take some classes because that's a little weak right there. And, uh, I mean, you know, hey, come on, don't, don't, don't show me up. I mean, I, you know, I, and, you know. The, the reality is, is that a father disciplines because he loves not because he is mad or upset. We're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about hitting or striking. We're talking about that it is correction that comes by not just disciplining, but by showing a different way. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says that we're to teach and train our child in the way that he should go, and that when he's old, he'll not depart from it. So we're, we're teaching, the idea of parenthood is that you're to teach and to train, to leave, 
You're to teach and train your children to leave. That's the idea. You realize that. That is the end game, right? One day, ha, ah, they're going to leave. And if they don't, kick them out. It's biblical, right? Proverbs 22, 6. Just, just take it home and have their bags on the doorstep. Okay. But, but the reality is, is, that, is that as a dad, I am to bring correction to my kids. It's not my wife. But she's there most of the time. It doesn't, it's, it's not. She has a role and responsibility. It's kind of like with Tammy and I. I got Tammy's back. They're not going to, hey, look. We're going to play one-on-one offense, right? I mean, we're going to be one-to-one on this deal. So if they come to me, she's got my back. If they go to her, I got her back. They're not going to divide and conquer the two of us. That's, that's rule number one in our, in our household. And if one of our kids gets caught going to the opposite parent, asking for something that's already been done, not only is it no, but it, is, it, it, it will, you know, uh, something will freeze over before they ever get to do it again, right? Because, I mean, it's just you don't do that in our household. It's a, there's, a, there's a deal. But the, there is a thing where it's my responsibility as a dad to step up and to correct. And we don't have many models of this in our society. Whether you're talking about a sitcom or movies or TV or just... In, it's, it's relegated to let mom deal with it, let mom deal with it, let mom raise the kids. No, men. We are to, as the Heavenly Father would correct us, we are to bring correction to our children. And that doesn't just mean that I am to discipline them or to, you know put them a timeout or give them a spanking, but I am to show them the better way. So to my daughter, I'm to show her this is how a young man should treat a young woman. And so she sees that in how I treat her mother. So if I yell at her mother, she grows up thinking that's how men talk to women. If I call her mother explicit names, that's just what men do to women. If I show no respect, that's just what men do to women. That's how it happens. So what she will do is when she's old enough, she'll find a guy who will berate her, put her down, and call her explicit names at the top of his voice because that's what her dad did. See what I'm saying? If I treat her mother with honor and respect, then she's going to demand honor and respect. If I treat her mother with dignity, she's going to demand dignity. When my first, my oldest, got into middle school, I took her to the nicest restaurant, my, my, my favorite steak place in the city. Dressed up, put on socks, the whole deal. I don't like wearing socks. Put on socks, the whole deal. She dressed up, and we went out for, I mean, a fancy dinner. And I just said to her, Anna, I'm your dad. And you are no longer a little girl. You're becoming a young woman. Now, it won't be until you're 35 and you've got a Ph.D. before you're able to date. But between now and then... I'm joking just a little bit. Maybe a master's degree or MBA. Uh, between now and then, though, you're going to have young men that are going to want to take you out. And Tammy says, don't you think you're setting the bar a little high? Oh, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm stacking everything in my favor, right? Because, you know, they don't have that kind of money. So anyhow, so here's the deal. But I, because this is how this is done. And I want you to always remember this. What? I'm teaching her. I'm bringing correction to her. I'm showing her how to live. I don't have sons. I have two daughters. But I was raised in a household full of boys. And my dad did this. And um, by how he lived his life. I'll never forget. I'm in college. I'm working in the factory that summer with my dad. 
uh, it's probably 4.30 in the morning. We're on our way to the plant, Garrison Avenue, getting ready to turn east onto Zero Street, train tracks. We're in the old pickup truck. And I am thinking, why in the world am I doing this? We're getting ready to work a 10, 12-hour shift that day and building air conditioners in an unair conditioned factory. Okay, it's Arkansas. And I remember looking at my dad and going, why in the earth have you spent your life doing this? And I'll never forget what he said to me. Because I had responsibility. I had your mother and I had you two boys. And that's what a man does. Now I'm telling you, I'm 40 years old. I've never, I can take you to the train tracks in the 1980 three-column shift clutch pickup truck that was gray exterior and a, and a, and a, and a bench uh, plaid red interior and tell you that conversation that my dad had with me because that's what a man does. And the days that I want to quit, that's what a man, a man doesn't do that. The days that he gets tough, that's not what a man does. A day that I want to give in to my temptation, that's not what I Because he brought correction. He showed me how to live. This is way much more than time out and spanking. And the Bible says, men, that's what we're called to do. Because you'll instill what it means to be a man of God in your sons. And you'll instill self-confidence and poise in your daughters. That will raise them up to the level to succeed and to excel in their life. The second thing the Bible says that a man does, he brings affirmation. Affirmation. Now, men don't tend to be as nearly as affirming as mothers, and we're not intended to be. And I'm not going to try to get you in touch with your feminine self, or I'm not going to Dr. Phil you or have an Oprah moment right here. Uh, but, but affirmation of a father means, no disrespect, ladies, means so much more to your children coming from you as a dad than it does from the mom. Because the mom is the one that deals with the ouchies and the boo-boos and the, and the right? Right? Like, if you want sympathy, you don't go to your father. Like, Ava plays soccer, my youngest. And I'll go, you're kicking like a girl. And she'll go, but Dad, I am a girl. Don't complicate the subject, Ava. Come on, kick the ball. Yes, sir. You know, and I'm teasing with her, and she knows. But, but, but Tammy's the one that's going to be, because that's, but to affirm her is something that she looks for affirmation from me as her father. Now think about this. We, if you have kids, it doesn't matter whether they're in band and what chair they're in in a band. It doesn't matter if, if they're in, in chorus. It doesn't matter if they play sports. Whenever they're on the field of competition or they're in the stands, who are they looking for? You. And they want to know, are you looking at them? And as soon as they realize that you're looking at them, they act like you're not looking at them or that, you can't, or that they can't see you, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, they're looking around there. Right? Because it's not cool to be excited that your parents are there, but that's... And it doesn't matter who else is in the room. It doesn't matter if a celebrity's in the room or a president's in the room or the bank... It, 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 it's, are you there? And then when you yell for them, that's what they want to know. Did you see the goal I scored? Did, did, did you see that? Did you, did you hear that? Were, were you there? Did you get to hear my solo? Did you get to see I practiced really hard on that? Did you, and, and so the affirmation that comes from a father is so much important. Now I can see some of you men going, okay, he's going on with this. This is biblical. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Again, everything, everything goes back to what the Word says. Matthew chapter 3. 
Jesus at this point is beginning his earthly ministry. He's 30 years of age. He's about to begin his three-year journey of his earthly ministry that will climax into him dying on the cross for the sins of humanity, being put into a grave and raised again. And he begins his ministry, the coronation, the, the graduation ceremony, the beginning, the great aha, the big reveal. And, and, I mean, and Jesus, no doubt, you know, had been told his whole life, you know, you were born of a virgin, and, and, and you're the promised child, and you're the, he's, but he's got all of this around him. But look what happens when he begins this public ministry as John the Baptist baptizes him in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting upon him, verse 17, and suddenly... A voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now if Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, needed affirmation from His Father, how much more do you and I and our children who are not deity need affirmation from our fathers? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. It's true. I'm a 40-year-old man. But my dad can walk up to me and give me a hug and give me a kiss on the cheek and tell me that he loves me. And it's still just... He's my hero. And I'm not... I mean, my dad is a stoic kind of guy. I mean, some of you go, oh, you're just in the South. No, listen, if a man walks up and kisses me on the cheek, I'm going to bust him in the mouth. I mean, I, this, I'm not like all like nice and all, woo. I, no, <laughs> this is my father. And I've only seen my dad cry three times in my life. My dad is a very stoic individual. But at the end of the day, for my dad to tell me that he's proud of me, it does something for me. I'm just telling you. I can have a thousand people tell me I did a great job. But when my old man says, you did good. Wow. And I know that. And so with my daughters, I make sure on a regular basis. Oh, Dad. Oh, Dad. Tell me you love me. I love you, Dad. No, 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 like you mean it or we're going to be here all day, right? And I give him a hug, and I give him a kiss, and I say, I love you, and I'm proud of you. If you get an F on your report card, I'm going to kill you, but I love you, and I'm, right? Right? Because you're still going to kill them, but, you know, you love them, right? Off their benefit. My, my, my point is, is that they need that affirmation. And men, sometimes we forget that because we expect, well, the mom does that. Yeah, but it means something from you to be there. You know, I wish I could be at every one of Ava's soccer games, but I just can't be there. I wish I could be at every one of Anna's events. I just can't be there. I, it just, and same way with Tammy, but we make sure that one of us are there. But when I'm there, I want to be engaged. Because she's going to ask me when I get in the car, Dad, did you see that kit? Dad, did you see that deal? Now, I'll be honest. The other kids may be playing, and I'm returning some emails. But as soon as Tammy's like, she's in, all right, hey, hey, yeah, wow, wow, wow. Because, I mean, things are crazy. I don't act like I'm super dad, like I got some S on my chest. And, and, and all, it's, but, but the point is, is that they need that affirmation that men only we can give. The, next, the third thing is provision. Provision. We are to provide. And I don't mean like provide, I'm going to show you this. Not just like provide, like just, you know, bring home the kill, but, 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 but provide to lead. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives 
or for their family, especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, we want to give our kids a good life, and we want them to be blessed. But at some point, you want to go, hey, man, we don't teach them the value of a dollar, and let's teach them. At some point, if we don't teach our children how to make provision for themselves and how to work and have a work ethic, then all of a sudden, when we, we're not really teaching and training them to leave. That's the object of, of Proverbs 20, 22, verse 6. And so part of our role as dads is to not only provide for their well-being between now and 18, but when they get ready to leave the nest that we're able to have taught them in such a way that they're able to sustainably live their life, that we've taught them values. I teach the girls all the time, um, you know, uh, and, and they're just like, oh, whatever. You can do anything you want to do, but you can't do, and they go, everything. Because I want them to know, you can't do everything. We live in a world where every kid gets a blue ribbon. That's not reality. Not in the world I live in. People get hired. People get fired. You have quotas to reach. You better hit the books. We're going to knock, you know, at Neutron Jack, we're going to knock out the lowest 10% every year and keep going. We'll be number one, number two. I mean, that's the world in which we live in. And, folks, that's not going to change. The economy is not all of a sudden going to just click our heels and it's going to change. We are in a demanding worldwide culture and world where everything is so interconnected that the volatility is so much greater. We have to teach our kids how do you survive and thrive by teaching them. You can do anything you want to do, but you can't do everything. Let me help you work with your strengths. Let me help you to deal with these things. Let me help to show you, and as they get older, to be able to walk them through so that they understand. We just went through a refile in our house because the rates are, are incredibly low. And one of our kids was with us. And typically, I don't think a whole lot about this, but she began to ask questions. And so I thought, you know what? This guy sitting across the table is making money from me anyhow. So he can just sit there a few minutes longer. Because I never knew how to do this until I was in a position of buying my first house. And man, have you ever signed your name so many times in all your life? It's like writer's cramp. I mean, seriously. So... She would ask, what's this? And, what? and to the best of my ability, I'm trying to explain. Because I want to teach and train. Right? Savings. You want your kids to be savers? You want them to take care of it? You better teach them that now. You want them to be givers? You better teach them that now. We teach our kids, hey, and this is a biblical principle. You're blessed to be a blessing. How do you show that? Because everything that we have is a stewardship issue. And so we're here to help other people. Life is not about you. And so my kids, as soon as they're old enough, they go on mission trips. And I promise you, they will go see international. Not because they're internationally travelers. It's a totally different deal than missions. But I want them to see kids that live in mud huts. I want them to see kids that live in garbage dumps. I want them to see the poverty of the world. I want them to understand how blessed they are and that they've been blessed not just to consume for themselves, but to help other people. And so it's my job as a dad to think about that and to go, how do I teach them? Am I teaching them the principles that will provide for them? Am I teaching them how to save? Am I teaching them how to spend? Am I teaching them how to give? Am I teaching them time management? Am I teaching them discipline? Am I teaching, you know, discipline? Because daily discipline, that, that becomes the number one. I mean, I study leadership, and I'm an avid reader. And the number, one, the, the, the number one delineator between people that are highly successful, whether they're secular or sacred, and people that are not, is daily discipline. People that are highly successful have a basic focused set of things that they do every single day of their life. 
I don't care whether they, whether they coach a Division I basketball team or whether they run a Fortune 100 company or whether they're a startup entrepreneur or they're a local church pastor. They have a few set of things they do. do you, and so I know that I've got to teach my daughters. There are some basic things in your life that you need to do and make sure that they're being taught that. And I don't just send them off to school and go, okay, great, it's taken care of. And some of you would say, well, but I put my kids in parochial schools. You think that's the answer? I'm not against parochial schools, but nobody's going to teach your kids but you. I have a friend of mine, we were talking about this the other day, and he said, how do you teach your kids the value of a dollar? He said, here's what I do. I, I will take them when they've got friends over, and there'll be three or four kids, and I'll take them to Culver's and say, you can have anything you want. Here's 20 bucks. And these are like eight, nine, ten-year-olds. And they'll run to the, to the register. And I want this, and I want that, and I want this. And give me two of those, and I want this. And the guy's just ringing it up. And it comes just to this crazy amount. And then they have to stand there with all these people behind them and the pressure of going, well, um, okay, I don't need two chocolate shakes. Just give me one. And they have to, because they have to learn how to live within that confines. It's teaching and training them. It's teaching and training them. By the sweat of their brow, being faithful of little things, they become ruler over much. It's our responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean that we do this exclusively, men, but it, it does mean that we're not just out there to go make a living and let the wife do everything. We're there to make sure that our kids, along with our spouse, are learning these things. And the fourth thing is protection. Protection. Um, financial, emotional, spiritual, physical you are the one that walks with the authority in your home to make sure that, that there's a protection. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. I talked about this a few weeks ago. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden and told him to work it and take care of it. The King James Version says to keep it and to dress it. To keep it would be to walk in authority. To dress it would be to sow the seed. And so part of our responsibility as fathers, is to teach our kids not only how to, to provide and to provide for themselves, but it's also important that we walk in authority and that we take that authority and they see how to deal with authority. It's important. Jesus said it like this. In the New Testament, there's a centurion. He's a Roman soldier, higher up, comes to Jesus and says, hey, uh, my master's daughter is sick, and I need. He's asked me to come and get you. Would you come? And I mean, would, would you? And, and for her to be healed. And Jesus said, "I'm in the middle of doing some things. I'll be there in a minute." He goes, "No, no, no, Jesus, you don't need to come. If you'll just say the word, I'll bring it back to my master, and she'll be made whole." And Jesus does like this holy timeout right there in the Gospels. It says, "No greater faith have I seen in all of Jerusalem." The centurion wasn't a Jew. He was a, he was a Gentile. He was a Roman soldier. But he understood authority. And Jesus said, no greater faith. Because this one is a man of authority. He says, to this one he goes, and to this one he goes. And to this one he comes, and to this one he comes. But he's also a man that's under authority, and he understands how authority works. And so when I talk about, and the Word talks about, that we are to lead our children to protect them, the first thing is, men, the Bible says that we have been given, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we've been given authority over the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, every beast that walks along the face of the earth and that creeps along the face of the earth. And people ask sometimes, well, why did God let sin into the garden? He gave Adam the entire ability 
to take authority and to deal with the serpent right from the very beginning. But Adam shirked his authority. And here's what he did. Read read Genesis chapter 3 on your own. When he shirked his authority, he made his wife vulnerable. When you don't stand up, men of God, and stand with the authority that God's given you, you allow your wife to be put in a very vulnerable situation. Secondly, he allows that to come into his own family, into his own life, and doesn't deal with it. And thirdly, he only doesn't affect him, but affects his kids and his kids' kids, and all the way down to the present generations, because that's what happens with sin. And so our children, our spouses, because uh, you know, in a marriage, it's, it's equal value but different function. They look to the function of you as the head of your home to take authority and to lead. And so you better make sure, man of God, that you are leading in such a way to protect your wife. And I'm not just talking about physically protecting her, but I'm talking about spiritually protecting her and emotionally protecting her and, 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 you know, and, 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 and making sure that you're walking in the authority that God has given you and protecting your children. I pray for my kids every day. When they were little, I'd go in their bed at night and I would just pray for them. When they would be asleep in the middle of the night, I would pray for them. If I'm ever awakened in the middle of the night, I can't sleep, I'll go pray for my kids. I, anytime I, I sense, I pray for because I want God's hedge of protection. I want God's will for their life to be the greatest ambition for their life. It's my responsibility. Let me say this. It's my responsibility to pray for my family, not my wife's. According to Scripture, it's my responsibility to stand up and to pray a hedge of protection around my family, to pray a hedge of protection around my children, and to stand up. Joshua said it this way, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it doesn't mean that your wife doesn't have responsibility. It means that you're to be the leader in this area of your life. But I'm just not that way. I didn't ask you if you're that way. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And that's how we're supposed to, that's how we're supposed to, 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 to lead and to do. Now, I understand that not everybody's had an example of a godly father in this room. I, I get that. But the greatest thing is not having a godly father. The greatest thing is being a godly father. The greatest thing is not having a godly father. The greatest thing is being a godly father. Because you can't control whether, what your dad was or was not. But you can control who you are and who you won't be. You can't control who your kids will be. Because they're not rock'em, sock'em robots. But you can only control you. And so I know when you talk about situations like this and you're talking about messages like this, that sometimes it's not easy. And sometimes it's like, man, dude, like seriously? Like, like I don't have enough pressure? <laughs> But the reality is, is that the bar is high, but it is attainable. And I'm not talking about being perfect. If I could just be really honest, if I executed only the things perfectly in these four characteristics I could only preach about, it would be a very short sermon. But it's about saying, not what does Aaron say, not what does Aaron think, but what does the Word say? And what does God's word ask of us? And I end it like this. That basically to be that that man or that that man of God that God's called you to be. To step up and to step into that role and to do that.